the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Some of you, though not all of you, will know the name of the late, great British preacher Charles Spurgeon. Some of you. I thought of his story as I was spending time with our passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Charles Spurgeon is widely regarded as the greatest preacher of the 19th century. And still, he is regarded as one of the greatest and one of the most influential preachers of all time anywhere. Charles Spurgeon is still often called by his nickname, which was the Prince of Preachers. And there are very many modern devotionals that are based on his work. In fact, I highly recommend that you seek one or two out and pick them up for your own benefit. Long before electric sound systems, thousands would pack into his church in London to hear him several times per week. And in fact, an entire new church building that would hold 6,000 souls was built just to handle the crowds for his preaching. His soaring intellect informed a profound faith in Jesus Christ that was preached humorously and accessibly to the masses, sometimes for a couple of hours. So I'm having a change of policy. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And untold thousands came to Christ under his ministry. Now, For such a towering figure that God has used so mightily, we might expect that perhaps that he was groomed for such greatness in the highest theological and ministerial circles of his day. But one of my favorite things about the great Charles Spurgeon is the very humble and unlikely story of his conversion to Christ. See, Spurgeon grew up in a clergy family, and yet even as a young teenager, he felt that the demands of God's law were just simply too much for him or anyone else to bear. Try as he could to do good deeds and to live uprightly, he lived in constant fear that what he was doing was simply not enough. He lived in constant fear of God's judgment. And he could find no one who would tell him how to escape it. On January 6th, 1850, in the very small rural village of Colchester in Essex, England, young Charles Spurgeon was walking to church in a blinding snowstorm. Because he thought, what would God think of him if he did not? But at one point, the sleet and the wind and the cold became just too much. And so he ducked instead down this little side street. And he came upon a small 
primitive Methodist church. And he went inside, and there were about a dozen people there. The preacher hadn't shown up. The weather was too bad for him. And so this tall, spindly layman, maybe he was a a tailor or a shoemaker, got up into the very simple wooden pulpit and began to speak. The text that he chose was from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 22, which in the old King James reads, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And the simple lay preacher whose name history has forgotten said in a very thick Essex accent, which I will not try to replicate. I'm tempted, but I'm not going to do it. He said, well, the first thing it says is to look. Anyone can do that. Don't take a college education to look. Any idiot can look. A child can look. Just look. And then he said, many of you are looking to yourselves. That won't do you no good. No comfort in looking to yourselves. This is Christ who speaks. Look unto me. Sinner, I am in agony in the garden. Look unto me. I am hanging on the tree, dying for your sins. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend into heaven. Look unto me. I am seated at the Father's right hand. Look unto me. Spurgeon recalls that at this point the the man seems to have run out of things to say, but he was not ready to be finished. And so he turned and looked directly into the eyes of young Spurgeon. And he said, young man, you look miserable. Spurgeon says, well, I did, but I certainly wasn't accustomed to being, uh, having comments made on my personal appearance from the pulpit. It got my attention. And the preacher, who was now gaining confidence, said, and you will continue to be miserable, miserable in your life, miserable in your death, but if you obey my text now, you will be saved. And then the preacher yelled, the top of his voice as only a primitive Methodist can. Young man, look to Jesus and be saved. Look, look, look. And the answer to his fears suddenly was right before his eyes. He says, I did look. And I saw at once the way of salvation. I don't know anything else he said because I was so possessed by that one thought. Look, I've been waiting to do 50 things to help myself, but that one word, look, made all the difference. And there and then the cloud was gone. The darkness rolled away and I saw the sun for the first time. Oh, that someone would have told me this before. Trust Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I have always just loved that story, the simplicity, the accidental 
nature of this monumental, consequential conversion to Christ. This is the wrong church, in the wrong weather, and the wrong preacher. But by the presence of God's Spirit, it was the right message at the right moment for the right young man. And thousands of others would be brought into the kingdom as a result. Now, why have I told you a story about a dead English preacher and a passage from Isaiah when we're supposed to be talking about 1 Corinthians? St. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He had showed up in Corinth several years before and started telling them about Jesus. And a group of Christians emerged, banded together, and they formed what would become known as a church. Now, at this point, Paul, of course, has moved on and he's proclaiming that message elsewhere, but he's heard that his Corinthian church is having problems. They've got divisions. They've got theological disagreement. They've got different heroes and different points of view. And they're looking all over the theological and spiritual landscape. Like young Charles Spurgeon, they're looking all over the place anxiously for what they need to do to be the best, to avoid God's judgment, to get it right. Anything else. But like that, that lay preacher in the, in the snowstorm, Paul is pulling their focus back to the center, pulling them back to the core of what is important. Back to the very simple message of Jesus Christ. Just like when Paul was there at the first and he reminds them, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now he doesn't say that I decided to know nothing about you except Jesus Christ, right? I mean, he was a pastor. I'm sure he got to know his people and their families, and he got to know their successes and their struggles and their professions and their hobbies. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about his ministry while he was with them and the singular message that he proclaimed. He says, I decided, that is, it was with great intention. I was intentional in my actions. I decided to know. I decided to perceive, to express, I decided to concentrate on, I decided to know nothing among you. That is, when I was with you, with great intention, I decided there was only one thing that I was going to focus on, and that was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, there are a lot of other things we could have talked about. You Corinthians, you love to talk about new philosophies. We could have talked about how to handle your money in a Christian way. We could have talked about godly parenting tips or five ways to have a godly marriage. We could have talked about growing old with grace. 
We could have talked about how Christianity differs ethically from the requirements of your other gods. Any of that, but no. I was very intentional, says Paul. I decided that the one thing, that the only thing I was going to focus on with you was the Savior and His saving work. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, I didn't try to wow you with eloquence. Or wisdom, I didn't want you to be impressed with me. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, why would Paul take that position? I mean, isn't that a bit narrow? I mean, wouldn't he want to take maybe a more robust strategy? I mean, teach him about Jesus, sure. But maybe teach him also how to live the Christian life. Like, teach him how to be nice in disagreements or... Teach them what to believe about controversial subjects. Maybe teach them, I mean, you've got to think about the long view here, Paul. Teach them to, to give their money to the church. Paul says no. Because there's only one way to heaven. And that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's only one firm and final demonstration of the immeasurable love and grace of God. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's only one place to put our guilt. There's only one source to rescue us from ourselves and one means of reconciling us to a just and holy God, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Does Paul care about all those other things? Of course he does. In fact, much of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he spends answering theological and spiritual and ethical questions that they have Related to how faith in Christ works itself out, works itself out in our day-to-day lives. But the truth is, just as true for you and me as it was for them, the truth is, if you figure out how to have a great marriage and how to be a good forgiver and how to be a generous person, but you miss Jesus Christ and him crucified then you miss reconciliation with God and eternal life with Him. But if you get Jesus Christ and Him crucified, if you are gobsmacked by His love and grace for you, I mean, nobody's perfect, but chances are you're going to work on being a good forgiver. And you're going to work on being a generous person because you're going to seek to imitate Jesus Christ. And him crucified. We try so hard to make it more complicated than it is. But it is the simple message that makes all the difference. It is the simple message that meets us right where we are. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So look, 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 look to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For He, and He alone will fill in the gaps. He and He alone will heal the broken places and hold the brokenhearted. And turn our sorrows into opportunity for blessing. As one preacher put it, Jesus sat amidst all the joy, sipping the coming sorrow so that you and I can sit 
among all the world's sorrow and sip from the coming joy. Look to Jesus and be saved. Look to Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if you want to talk about that, I'll be around after the service. Amen.